0: Morning. If you don't have a physical Bible, there's some on the lower shelf in the back of the room. You're going to need this this morning. Um, Or a lot of us just use our Bible apps. And uh, hopefully, you have something you can take notes on. Uh, Super important. Not because I'm brilliant or anything, but because we pray all the time around here that the Spirit will move during this teaching portion. It might be in spite of me. Okay? I don't really care, as long as you hear the voice of God at some point and make note of that, right? It's hard to obey God's voice if we're not taking notes, right? We forget. So make sure you're taking notes, make sure you have your Bible out, and if you want to, you can turn right now to Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verse 16 in a minute here. Oh, sorry, did I say Colossians? Go to John chapter 4, verse 19. We are going to hit that Colossians passage in in a second. Uh, But yeah, go to the Gospel of John towards the end of your Bible in that direction. Chapter 4, verse 19. Oh, man, it's been a good summer. Yeah? It's raining now. What on earth? I have my rain jacket from Portland. I wear it like once a year here in Central Oregon. This morning was the time. But I hope you had a good summer. We had a great summer, man. About a month ago, you know, one of the highlights was going down to see my best friend, uh, Jake Fisher, who was getting married down in San Diego. And so my wife and I actually flew into L.A. because it was like cheaper flights, and then we drove down. But when we're in L.A., you know you're in L.A., right, when uh, you're the only one slowing down at a yellow light. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Like a hundred yards away, I'm like, I'm gonna start slowing down. It just, voom, 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 you know, it's like, oh, yellow means go in this state, okay. But uh, we were we were hanging out in LA. This the funniest thing happened. We were down in this uh, kind of artsy district called Abbott Kinney, where all the clothes cost way too much. And my wife and I went to this restaurant. We like that kind of areas and cities. Anyways, we went to this restaurant that we had been to a number of times before, so we remember like, oh, this is good stuff, okay. You know, we we got there, we sat down, our three-year-old was with us, and it was kind of late afternoon, so we were just eating light, like a salad, a, a charcuterie board, right? That's when they don't have time to make anything, you just kind of flop out whatever's in your fridge, right? Charcuterie board. And uh, they plopped down this, like, really nice artisan bread, you know, I could tell because it was, like, grilled on the sides, big old plate of bread. I'm like, oh, that's great. I was like, oh, there's no, there's no butter, though, you know, so... Uh, I called the waiter over and I said, would it be cool to get some butter with this bread? And he goes, ooh, um, yeah, let me see. I'll go check with the kitchen. Okay. And he comes out like five minutes later and, and, he, and he sets down the butter. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And he kind of whispers in my ear. He's like, um, we don't normally do this. You don't normally serve butter with bread? Like... Am I missing something? Is there like a butter shortage going on? My wife got all excited. She looked across the table. It's inflation. I'm telling you, it's inflation. This is what's happening. We don't normally serve butter with bread. I mean, here in Oregon, right? You go down the street, Black Bear Diner, and you'd be lucky to get food with your butter. (laughs) Hey, sweetie, here's your breakfast, you know. Oh, ma'am, I'd love to have some waffles and pancakes with this butter. That would be great. Thanks. Gosh. Man, so what I'm learning, and something we all know, is that California and Oregon are they're a little different, right? Right? A L- little bit different? Can we agree? Yeah. And this is reality for us. Relevance is coming here. We're all accustomed to our own way of doing things, cultural norms. Like, we tend to either resist change... Or welcome it with excitement. And that's exactly what has happened in the gospel stories. You have God's people either welcoming change or resisting it. Welcoming the kingdom of God or resisting the kingdom of God. Welcoming Jesus and what he was modeling through his life or resisting it. And of course, as we enter into the book of Acts, that we've been studying now for about a month, we see more of the same change, like a different way of doing things. And specifically regarding worship, Jesus himself alluded to this big change. And we're, it's in John chapter 4, so you're already open there. John chapter 4, verse 19 should be up on the screen behind me. Sir, a woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus alluded to something Better, that was beginning through him, a change in worship. My theology professor always told me when you read that verse, imagine Jesus pointing at himself. You're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth through me, through Jesus. So now, let's look at what Jesus was talking about. The last few weeks, uh, we saw a significant change in the way Jesus' followers worship. One, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit changed everything and consequently number 2 as a gathering of people we're not bound any longer to a geographical location or the physical temple in Jerusalem and we read last week the first set of liturgy more on that word in a second acts 242 they devoted themselves to four things the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer And that's not all they did, right? That's not all the church did. If you read on just later in that verse, later in that chapter, the church did a lot more. But you can say that the church has never done less than those four things, right? It's never done less than devoting themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and to prayer. So today, instead of like rushing on to the next events that unfold in Acts, Brett and I thought it'd be a good idea if we just kind of slow down and consider the practical implications of those two things, you and me as living temples of the Holy Spirit. You with me? Okay, let's get into it. Why do we worship the way we do? Remember, we already looked at the church Not as a building, but a people of God. we already looked at the Holy Spirit filling us now. We are living temples. But why do we, like practically, why do we worship the way we do? Now, unless this is your first time here, worship is just something we do at church, right? You might remember uh, from our New Way to Be Human series on the spiritual disciplines, we concluded that worship is two things. uh, Our response and our encounter with God. It's two things. Worship is our response to God and it's our encounter with Him. It's great. Simple, right? But let's be honest when it comes to church worshiping together on Sundays, uh, we don't give it much thought like all the stuff that's going on. Most of us were just trying to get here on time, like get our kids in the building with two pairs or two shoes on, right? Something like that. Or get here before the donuts ran out. Sunday worship is pretty routine for us. It's a rhythm, it's a habit, it's a way of life. However, if this is your first time here on a Sunday, like you just walked into church the first time, one, welcome, glad you're here, but you probably have a ton of questions. <laughs> like, what is going on right now? Like, what are these people doing? How do, they, how do they know these songs? How are they singing without the leader leading them, without the words? Why do they lift their hands? And am I supposed to join in the song? Uh, did I wear the right clothes? By the way, I dressed myself this morning. <laughs> I know you'd be so proud of me. Are my kids bothering people? You're asking these questions. Of course. And what, what part of the gathering can I get up and go to the restroom? Not right now. Don't you dare. Okay? You're in it for at least another hour. And that's a totally normal question to be asking if this is your first time here. You're totally normal for thinking that stuff. There's a ton going on. Uh, for us, it's just become second nature. Um, but I'll admit, it's, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird if you've never done it before. Now hear me out on this. All of this stuff we've been doing, it's, it's not at all random. Most of it is, is packed full of meaning. It has profound depth. It's steeped in like a rich heritage. Generations that have done this. The history of Christianity. We just don't give it much thought anymore, do we? And if we did, I want to play this out. If we did, we'd have a, a lot of questions that probably surface. So let me tease this out. You guys ready? Ready? Why do we gather here in this building? And why is it once a week on Sundays, and why not twice a month on Tuesdays? Have you thought about that? Taco Tuesdays, Sundays, sound nice. Yeah. Or why do we give money as our tithe and offering? Why not livestock? That's easy around here, right? We've all got a few livestock we can spare. I have a cat I can spare. I could bring that. Or wheat or fruit or vegetables or Bitcoin, Right? Why can't we give in other ways? Why do, we, why do we pray? And why do we pray the way that we do, using certain words, right, certain inflections? Why right now is there a guy on stage? Why is there a stage, you know? And shouldn't he be dressed nicer? <laughs> a little more black, a little more white in the collar, right? Why do we study the scriptures? And seriously, why do we teach out of an ancient collection of books, ancient library written in a different language? Have you, have you guys thought of these questions? This is ever like, eh, maybe? Here's a good one. Why do the kids get to go downstairs and play games and we have to stay up here? Yeah. Well, here's one that really baffles me. Why do we drink coffee out of large white paper cups but grape juice out of tiny little plastic cups? Just me? Okay, just me. <coughs> Always want to know the answer to that one. Of course. There's a reason for all of that, joking aside, all of that stuff that I just mentioned is worship, all of it. It's what some of you who grew up in church might have called liturgy, and liturgy is the stuff you do with the church. Even Redeemer's Church has a liturgy, we just don't use that word because it kind of sounds like a skin disease. But yeah, our grandparents might have called it Sunday church, going to mass, or the Lord's Day. Our parents might have called it a worship service. Today, we call it the gathering. But it's all the same ecclesia that we learned about last few weeks, the assembly of God's people, those who are following Jesus. And here's what happens when the church gathers together to do liturgy. These are weekly practices by Jesus' followers that allow us to step into three things, God's story in time, here and now. The Holy Spirit's working presence in this space and the fullness of Jesus. Experience in our collective being, like our body, soul, and mind, and our closest friends and family. Take a look at that. This is what happens when the church, the ecclesia, gathers together. I'm gonna nerd out a little bit on some history here. Historically, the church has practiced these liturgical rhythms. If you grew up Catholic, you knew that every church around the world was going through the exact same liturgy as you on any given Sunday. Same scriptures, same songs, same prayers, all in sync. And of course, a lot of kneeling, right? Has anybody been to a Catholic mass? You kneel everywhere. You kneel coming in the door. You kneel if you're like saying hi to a kid. You kneel, you know, at the pew. Every chance you get, there's a you've got to be ready to kneel. So much so that they even created those little padded benches. You know, when you first go into Catholic church, you're like, what are these things? Like somebody wised up and they're like, let's we kneel so much, let's make nice little padded things that like transform down. Pretty cool. And there's a lot of call and repeat type stuff, reminiscent of. Psalm one thirty six, three thousand years old. In fact, call and repeat. We're gonna. We don't do that around here often, so I thought we'd just go for it this morning. I'm gonna shake things up this morning. You guys ready for some call and repeat? All right, here we go. We're gonna do Psalm one thirty six. Dylan, you got it on the slide. Okay, I'm gonna read this side on the left. You're gonna read that side on the right. Listo? Okay. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Yeah. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods. I messed up. Your turn. Yeah. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. You guys are good at this. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love forever. That's just five verses. The song goes on 21 more times you're going to say that. Oh, so good. You guys want to keep going? No, come on, it's weird. (laughs) Or if you grew up Anglican, the common book of prayer. They had this whole book that was put together that, that would tell you what and how to pray. I love that. What to read, what to sing, what or how to celebrate through the calendar year, right? The whole year was planned out. Advent, what we call Christmas and whatnot. Lent, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost, and then my favorite thing, I think it's around summertime, they call it normal time. Normal time. Anything but normal time. you right. That's pretty rad. I mean, given that this was before iPhones, syncing us up via the internet, I mean, the whole church around the entire world was in sync on this kind of stuff, this liturgy. Now, why does a church do all that stuff? Well, when you do something repeatedly, I don't know if you guys know this, when you do something repeatedly, it becomes formative, you get in the habit, right, into the rhythms to the point that it all becomes second nature. As we say, practice makes perfect. Yeah. I love this from Minty Wright. He says, every thought we think, every act we perform, and especially every habit we adopt and develop creates pathways in our brains, And that's why a habit is what it is. It's something that initially difficult or even impossible, think of learning like a foreign language or a musical instrument, gradually becomes, as we say, second nature. I've seen this recently with my son. Uh, My wife and I are like, yeah, we want to pray for him every night before we go to bed. And my instincts were just to do the Levitical priestly blessing. So I pray for my son. He's three and a half years old, you know. Lord, bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. I do this every night. My wife told me just this last week, she said, yeah, John Fox came to me and said, Mama, can I pray for you? And what do you think came out of his mouth? (laughs) Lord, bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine on you. And Mama, can we go watch Cars 3? (laughs) (laughs) But you see, he'd heard it so much. And consequently, it just became natural for him to follow in that pattern. So here's some fun facts and then we'll, we'll let go of this whole liturgy thing. Uh, did you know there was a time when churches didn't have seats? Did you know that? There was a time when church worship, doing liturgy, involved standing up the entire gathering. You guys want to give it a shot this morning? Anybody? No? Okay. Okay. Um, Upon the arrival of the printing press, uh, that changed a lot. Within a century, it led to midweek Bible studies, which were previously not allowed in the church. Did you know that? The only time you could do a Bible study, the only time you could open Scripture was on Sundays until the printing press. Then it evolved and changed, and pretty soon people were like, I want to know more about the Scriptures. You can look into it in the Methodist movement. That's where they created these societies, basically home Bible studies. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. The Amish, the Amish are dope, by the way, okay? I used to pick fun of them, now I'm like, I think they have it figured out. I think we're the weird ones. (laughs) Uh, The Amish practice Sunday worship at a different host home every week. They did a tour of an Amish home in Pennsylvania, and we learned this, that every house, like their living room, would transform. They'd pull out all these benches from nowhere and create a worship gathering right there in the living room, and if... I could be wrong, but I, I think a different, like the host home actually led the scripture, like led the liturgy that week. And then the next Sunday, they'd go to another house. How cool is that? Yes, they still don't play electric guitar. <laughs> but I mean, gosh, so good. And then here's a shocker. Did you know that it wasn't until 30 years ago that churches started serving coffee before and during the gathering? What? My buddy Dan Kimball shared this with us. He started a church down in Santa Cruz, and it was like mid-'90s or so, and he was just looking at AA meetings. He said, "Yeah, at AA meetings, they serve coffee, and it allows people just to kind of relax, be comfortable and be vulnerable." He's like, "What if we did the same thing at church, you know? And they started serving coffee at church. Can you believe this, Sergio? Yeah. <laughs> How did the church exist without coffee? I don't know. Gosh, So cool. Dan had no idea that that would impact the global church. And this is the stuff we do with the church, all that stuff, all those fun facts. This is the stuff we do. It's liturgy. It's worship. Okay, now, part two. In light of all of that, how should we worship? You and me. So you're probably right now, they're like, fun facts, Mike. Like, what has this got to do with me this morning? Well, one, we do a lot of music and singing around here. And music and singing is one way that we practice ancient liturgy. And we don't have time to look at all the cases of music in the scripture, but music is spread throughout the scriptures from beginning to end, you know, starting with like Job or Jubil, Jubilee, that's where we get the word Jubilee, to Israel's hymnal, the Psalms, the largest book in your Bible right in the middle, and into the age of the church. And here's what first century liturgy looks like. Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians three verse sixteen. There's something here that uh, it's going to throw you a little off guard. Here, you know. I'm going to read verse fifteen just for fun. It. it says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful." And then verse sixteen, "Let the message of Christ." Dwell, in, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through pause. Through, you ready? Next slide. Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Did you catch that? Let's review this. How does the church teach? Yeah, through singing. Okay, how does the church encourage one another? Through singing, yeah, through music, yeah. And how do we share wisdom with one another? Through singing, through songs, yes, through hymns. Let that sink in for a second. Now, when was the last time, like, you sang over somebody that was having a bad day? And you're like, ah, man, work, and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah works no good you know start singing over or memorize scripture through a song I mean this is stuff we do with the kids I'm sure it's happening with you memorizing scripture through a song or like just drop some ancient wisdom on somebody with like a rap you know like how dope is that come on And this is common in scripture. This is just like what happens all over the place. God sings over us. Did you know that? Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. He sings over us. Jesus sang with his disciples on the way up to the Mount of Olives. It says he sang with his disciples. And then the whole story from end, uh, will end someday, this whole story, everything that's going on, will end someday in Revelation with us all singing. You're like, but I have a bad voice. That's okay. We're all gonna sing. by chapter 15 in Revelation, I'm pretty sure we all get harps you saying So I want to suggest to you that music and singing in a contemporary church especially a church like Redeemer's it facilitates our modern liturgy our way of doing things our worship it's it's how we teach it's how we encourage it's how we share wisdom and this is really important okay everything we do here on Sunday is intentional everything we do here on Sunday is intentional our modern liturgy is infused with music and singing, and music is the primary way of being carried through the gathering. It's like a soundtrack to a movie. Anybody watch the movie without the music? It's kinda creepy, right? Like things just don't build the way they're supposed to, and, and you know, all the moods are thrown off, yeah. So music becomes like a soundtrack to our gatherings. It just kinda facilitates, it kinda carries us through each moment. And practically it looks like this. I'm just gonna run through our gatherings. You know, we have a call to worship. That's what we did this morning. Come, let us worship our king. Like, come, come, let's gather. Let's, let's recognize that Jesus is our king, that he's here. And these, these calls to worship, they reflect a lot of the ancient songs of Israel's. The call is similar, like I said, to what we did. And then, and then we sing hymns. Like, we sing those older hit songs. And we often integrate hymns, uh, you know, written sometimes upwards of 400 years ago, into our worship. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 400 years old. It's an old song. And we often pray, and we literally will pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, sorry, I said pray. We'll, <laughs> you're like, duh, Michael. Of course we pray the Lord's Prayer. We will literally sing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. yeah song carries us through. Or we'll sing Psalm 23, right? God is my shepherd. I won't be wanting. I won't be wanting. We'll sing our prayers. Again, we recognize God's presence. In response to Isaiah chapter 46, or like Psalm 131, we listen. Meaning, we might just have instrumental music. And that's intentional, right? We don't always need to be talking at God. Part of prayer is listening. Part of prayer is receiving, making ourselves present with Him. And then we practice friendliness. As they once called it long ago, passing the peace. Has anybody heard that phrase? Passing the peace. Uh, There would be like a thing you would say with the church. Somebody would go, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And then the church would respond, and also with you. Yeah. My generation didn't do that. We were like, May the force be with you, (laughs) and also with you. (laughs) But we do this in church through our greetings. Like, during our greeting time, T.J. would tell you, I always tell him, you got to bump the house music in that time, you know? While we're talking and hanging out, we put on some atmosphere music just to promote friendliness. So the music stuff, it carries up throughout the whole gathering. And after the teaching, of course, you guys know, we respond with music here at this church. We respond with the sacrament of communion as we're singing, as we're doing music. And, that, and that's Redeemer's liturgy, okay? And it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah? Yeah, for the most part, especially because it's ours. I mean, it makes sense to us, it's comfortable. It perfectly reads our culture and it's effective and powerful in that way. I mean, I've spoken to countless people who have come here and told me that two things made them feel good the music and the plants on the wall. Not even joking. And we, my wife and I had a friend that, like, was not a Jesus follower at all. And she said, I just, I like coming for the music. Like, I can hang with the music. Um, the plants thing, I've literally heard from some people. They walked in and they said, oh, there's plants. Cool. And I'm like, okay. That's great. I'm the one that hung them, so I'll take it. That's a win. <laughs> you just call it the vibe of the building, you know, the aesthetics. And that's cool. I mean, that's, that's why we do this stuff intentionally. Uh, You know, from the lighting to the plants down to the donuts and coffee. Yes, the donuts and coffee. I kid you not, it's all intentional. But now I need to say something that's really important. We didn't always do it this way. We didn't. Times change. Unfortunately, church liturgy can get stuffy over time. It can get awkward. It can get lifeless. It can get stale and boring. It's why we change things to the way they are today. You hear me? Do you follow what I'm saying? Let let me make this super clear. We'll put it on the slide. Even Redeemer's liturgy can become lifeless. Do we have that slide? We won't put it on the slide. Even Redeemer's liturgy can become lifeless. It can become dull, boring, stale, or a chore. So what can we do today to avoid that from happening? Now, historically... The church has adapted its liturgy to reinvigorate the life of its worship gatherings. Like a healthy church recognizes this. And pay attention. All liturgy was a good idea when it was first created. It was creative. Some of it even innovative. It was all life-giving to the church. So we should give past liturgy the benefit of the doubt and consider deeply the principles behind why it once existed, right? There was a reason for a flannel graph board downstairs with the kids. I don't know what that was, but I'm sure it was a good reason, right? These all had a purpose, they all had intentionality. So we must adapt our worship, our liturgy or very quickly, this will all feel like a chore. And the last thing we want our worship to feel like is a chore, something you have to do, right, or there's repercussions. Here's a quote from Jack Hayford. He's like a rockstar 80s worship leader guy that I discovered, he's amazing. He said this, worship is a gift to bless rather than a chore to wearily fulfill. Worship is definitely not a God-built device to somehow get man to stroke his heavenly ego. Neither is it a summons to a weekly reaffirmation of one's expertise in precision cut declarations of doctrinaire posturing. Instead, the scriptures consistently show God calling his creatures to worship in his presence that he might, four things here, I love it release, redeem, renew, and restore them. The 80s were dope. That's good stuff. Come on, Jack. Worship is a gift, not a chore. It's life-giving. So our worship, our liturgy, the stuff we do at church will need to change from time to time. The songs will need to change. The music style will need to change. The chairs will probably change again. The font on the screen's going to change. The order of the gathering will need to change. Brett's goatee will need to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jess is like, no. It did get shorter, though. There has been a change. Had a mustache this summer. Yeah, you even had a mustache. Good riddance. Uh, <laughs> it will all need to adapt. Anything to take the attention off your clothes. You know? <laughs> I love it. I'm just teasing him. He knows this. He'll get me back later. It all needs to adapt, it all needs to shift a little. And as we make those changes in form and function, the thing we want to, to hold onto most is our orthodoxy, right? Our theory, our doctrine, our practice, the principles behind it all, the spirit and truth, Jesus, right? Spirit and truth, the things that are our heritage. So not like a literal song, right? But the spirit of the songs. Not this literal building, but the function of the building, You guys catch that? Uh, Now look, I know all this information might seem excessive and unnecessary. Real talk for a second. You can go ahead and close your Bibles or your notes. Liturgy in my time here and at other churches is the number one reason I've seen people leave church. It's the number one reason I've seen people leave this church. No joke. Um, It's not Brett's fashion mistakes. It's not Carson's obsession with baseball. Right? For one person, I kid you not, it, it was the repetitive nature of our music. It bugged him that we repeated the same lyric over and over again. Just wanted to sing it once and move on. He left. For another person, it was a removal of the fake plants. I kid you not. And the painting of the walls white. And for her... She she exclaimed that this gave people anxiety. The white walls would give people anxiety. I'm so sorry, everyone. (laughs) That's a bummer. For another, it was a consequence of COVID that his family uh, had to worship outdoors. This is mask mandate time. And they didn't want to wear a mask. So we said, we're gonna worship outdoors. Meaning they couldn't sit comfortably inside the building where their giving money was going towards. So he left the church. His whole family left the church. Now, that's a serious matter. But hopefully you guys are hearing what Brett and I are talking about the last few weeks. I mean, I'll just point out that building thing in general. What Jesus started isn't about a temple. It's not about a building. It's about you and me together in one place. Worshiping Amen. Jesus. Yeah. You guys say amen, but honestly, I have to remind myself of this constantly. Because I'm the OCD guy going around here making sure the plants are watered and like things are picked up. <laughs> That's not the church. The church is you. The church is you. It's me. It's us together. So this question, I'll leave you with this. So how will you worship? Turn to Acts 2.42. You don't have to turn there if you already flipped your Bible. You guys heard this last few weeks. Acts 2.42, we have it on the screen. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to friendships, to eating together and to prayer. We don't have it on the screen, but you guys know it. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to what? The teaching, to friendships, to eating, and to prayer. Remember the words of Jesus. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's um, so a cool if I end with a quick story? Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start some pad noise because I'm the guy that has to play music next and I uh, gotta transition over to that. Cool, we'll set the mood, some background music. Uh, there was this orphan kid that lived in a big city who began creating a new kind of music and it came from his heart came from his life it was raw it was authentic and he wrote to get him up and going in the mornings and throughout the day he even wrote songs for when he couldn't sleep at night just going through life writing music to God now he knew even he knew that these songs were too edgy for church and and it didn't bother him but when he got older he was still jamming these tunes when of course some of the other kids that were hearing him play this music discovered it, like discovered his tracks, covered his playlist, so to speak, and they loved it and they identified with it. It was their style, right? It was that next generation style. And it didn't matter if they couldn't sing it in church. It was the sound of their generation. Those kids got older and they started actually introducing these songs into the church liturgy, a new musical style in church. And now that once orphaned kid's music, unbeknownst to him, is being played in churches everywhere. Does that story sound familiar? Anybody? Do you know who I'm talking about? We actually sang one of his songs twice this morning. (laughs) The dude I'm referring to is Thomas Kent, born 1637, known as England's first hymnist. Right? Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. That's my boy Thomas Ken right there, (laughs) right? But you see, at that time, you didn't sing hymns in church. At that time, you didn't sing hymns in church. Only psalms were sung in the public gatherings, in the public worship gatherings. So you guys get what I'm saying here? Don't fight over the style. Fight for worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. Again, they devoted themselves to teaching, friendship, eating together, and prayer. That's the core of, of how we follow the way of Jesus. And now as we move into response and music, um, we're going to do something that the church has always done for thousands of years. Something that we kind of rediscovered during our New Way to be Human series. A discipline. And it's called Confessions. I know right now that's an ugly word in today's culture. Confess. Confess what? You know, culture right now denies that there's even a thing called sin. But not me, not you, not the people of Jesus. No. We're the people that say, God, we have pride. We need to come to you with humility. We need to learn from you. And yes, Lord, we're going to confess areas in our life where we've lived out our will and not your will. So, As we move into a time of response, before we come to the tables, I wanna invite you guys to, and this is gonna be a little tough for some of you, if you're willing and if you're able to do this physically, to go to your knees, and we're gonna give 20, 30 seconds of confession to God right now. Again, what is confession? I like it like this. Simply confess to God where you've tried to get your way done instead of allowing his way to be done. And let the Spirit lead you in that prayer. So if you will, Let's go to our knees. Let's spend 20, 30 seconds in confession before we come to the tables. And I'll lead us in a song next. Let's step into the liturgy of generations past right now. Yeah. So Lord, we bow to you. You are our king. And right now, we just spend 20, 30 seconds confessing where we've Prioritize our will, our kingdom over yours, Jesus. Go ahead. Whisper those prayers on your own.